Saima Fancy used to prepare medical illustrations. Now she considers privacy implications. In school, Saima studied applied science. Learn how she combines engineering with privacy compliance. So uh, on today's podcast, I am thrilled to introduce uh, Saima Fancy. She is the Senior Privacy Specialist at uh, Ontario Health. And thank you so much for joining the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Excellent. Okay, so uh, talk about you grew up in Canada, you grew up in Toronto, um, get into uh, what you wanted to be growing up, uh, you, you uh, were interested in uh, being in the medical field. So talk about that. Exactly. Yep. Um, I did uh, grow up in Toronto. Um, growing up throughout, I was uh, absolutely excited with the applied sciences and the life sciences and also wanted to see how I could integrate helping people along what I love to study. And I thought medicine was the way to go as I was going through high school studying chemistry, calculus, biology, all that good stuff. But at the same token, totally fascinated by the arts, like philosophy and applied arts and whatnot. And um, at the end of the day, it was always about trying to help other people. So did a lot of volunteer work in high school, in hospitals, working with the elderly. And uh, that became my driving force. Fascinating. And um, so, so, and then you also had a couple of jobs in high school, uh, you know, just at different retail and in malls so get into that yeah exactly along the lines of helping people and also loving clothes and fashion um i, I definitely always had part-time jobs uh, at the mall retails you know a lot of women's clothing stores um also working on the side uh, with my father who was a chartered accountant so he'd have me work on his books with him and he would teach me how to do budgeting and whatnot. So did that as well. Um, my mom being a pharmacist at times, I would go into the pharmacy and help her. And that would just further perpetuate my love for um, chemistry. So I would always have some, some job or the other, you know, fueling my passion for different things from fashion to sciences to, to the maths with my dad. So yeah, I was just keeping a bunch of different jobs and of course, volunteering at the hospital all the time in the pediatric department. Wow. And uh, how did you get involved in that volunteer work? Um, you know, I loved being in the hospital atmosphere. I found it to be terribly exciting. Grew up watching those medical shows and thought, you know, working in the ER was the, the way to go. And little did I know volunteers don't get to work in the ER, but I did love working with kids, um, especially kids who were in cancer care and a lot of times parents had to leave to go to work and the babies would be just crying out of their minds. And it was so sad and it was really rewarding for me to just jump in quickly and hold them in my arms and be able to, you know, take them to their appointments and whatnot while their parents and their other caregivers weren't there. Um, so, so that was really, really exciting for me and very rewarding in terms of helping people. And I chose to help kids. Well, wow, it's special that uh, you had that opportunity. Now, yeah, very, very fortunate. Mm -hmm. Now, talk about uh, you ended up going to the University of Toronto, and I think you were still focused on uh, going into the medical field. You studied uh, biochemistry, um, chemical engineering. So uh, talk about uh, your time in, in college. Yeah, so my first degree was in biochemistry, um, thinking um, I was entirely pre-med, which I was. Loved my, uh, studying chemistry and calculus and combined that with philosophies. 
Um, it, uh, was, it was a great combination and um, medical school didn't exactly pan out for me for a variety of reasons, um, you know, with, with things where that were happening with my family at that time. So I pivoted my way into chemical engineering, still keeping in line with the subjects that I love to study and uh, got into that faculty and now graduated from that program at University of Toronto. Interesting. And uh, so you ended up out of out of college, you ended up working uh, as a chemical engineer for a handful of years. Uh, talk about that. The uh, first. Yeah. First so after graduating, exactly after graduating from University of Toronto, um, from uh, as a chemical engineer, I worked with an environmental consulting company uh, for some years, where we would be hired by um, corporate litigation law firms and um, different uh, real estate litigation firms who would be representing. Uh, purchasers of pulp and paper mills, chemical plants, gas stations, and they would hire us engineers to go do environmental site assessments of the purchases to make sure they were viable. So there would be giant portfolios and I would be flying all over Canada um, to look at these sites and do their assessments and, you know, be, be at the site one day in my hard hat and overalls, get into the lab next day and then be in a three-piece suit in a, on a Bay Street law firm presenting our results um to 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 the lawyers fascinating and do you have any examples of something that uh, you're you know you presented yeah so for example i remember i was at a petroleum plant um in my overalls and my hard hat we'd, we'd actually imagine massive pipelines where actually you know the fluids would flow and petroleum would flow and when when the when the flow was off we'd have to go inside the the, the, the pipes and get samples of, of the residue and soils and whatnot and bring that out and be really interesting to go through all of them and just be totally covered in mud and and oil residue and all and uh, take the samples back into the labs and get them analyzed and and I love doing that essentially what that was was I took my university years and brought them on the field and I really really enjoyed that um, until I was introduced to law and then things changed from there for myself and the trajectory changed. Interesting. And uh, get into that a little bit. How were you introduced to law? So, like I said, you know, we had to present our results to the uh, lawyers in, in their law firms. Um, so we, we, we'd come up with our reports and, and, you know, explain to them all the VOCs and the, and the chemical um, compositions of the residues we'd find on the site and then let them know whether assessments needed to be done, whether the purchases were viable. So you can imagine, for example, with gas stations, they'd be buying hundreds of gas stations. So we'd have to uh, let them know whether there were any spills historically or not. Um, but when we were doing this, we had to work with the lawyers quite a bit, and some of them were in litigation uh, over a variety of issues, and we would assist them with that, with those litigations and helping them develop the case. And I really fell in love with how that process worked, um, going into court with them and whatnot, and then decided, you know what, I, I want to learn a little bit about what's happening here, and I missed my life sciences, so... I applied to work in a in boutique law firms, specifically being a scientific legal advisor. Just wanted to pivot and, and learn to see what's happening in that space. Fascinating. And what was it about that space interested you? That's, the space that I chose specifically was within the healthcare sector. Coming back to my life sciences, that original vision that I had of being in the health space um, so specifically chose to work with plaintiff lawyers. Um, so in Canada, that would mean that they would be the ones representing the victim per se, or the one who had um, the medical mal who started the med medical malpractice lawsuit, because 
a surgery went wrong or they were um, in the motor vehicle accidents and they sued the insurer. So we, I would help represent their cases. And in that regard, what we would do is take their medical injuries and illustrate them on diagnostics and have that submitted to court as real evidence. Wow. And, and so what did that, uh, what, what do those illustrations look like exactly? So imagine an x-ray and uh, my illustrators and I would draw on top of them taking, knowing the medical information. So we'd have the whole medical file. Um, so for example, commutative fracture of the left tibia, actually draw that out, show where the fracture is, but we take it a step further, take that diagnostic that we drew on to the orthopedic surgeon, make sure that they were okay with it and signed off on it such that it would be able to be submitted as real evidence in court. And only then would that move forward. But that was incredibly a powerful tool to um, essentially for the uh, lawyer to catalyze his, her case such that the jury member would understand, oh, I see, this is where the fracture happened. This is where the screws and the plates are. And as a result, I get it why this person can't work anymore or why they're suffering such massive income loss or depression or whatnot, whatever the fallout was from the injury that was caused to them. And that would help facilitate settlement of the case versus just talking about it, right? Words are powerful, but pictures with words are even more powerful. And I had my startup that would work with different boutique law firms. And that's what my medical illustrators and I would do, would essentially put those medical terms, medical history, the medical story on the diagnostics, whether that was MRI, CAT scans, um, x-rays, and have them enter into re as real evidence in court. Um, and, and that was an amazing way for me to tap into my life sciences background. Fascinating. And and as far as, you know, just the, the idea that a uh, picture speaks a thousand words, do you have any, um, you know, in, in today as a as a privacy engineer, do you visualize anything? Do you try to make things uh, visual or, or illustrate, uh, you know, your, what you're working on? Yeah, really good question all the time, um, both in the cybersecurity and the privacy space. Um, in terms of a lot of doing illustrations, in terms of um, s graphs, charts right there it's it's such a powerful way to convey breaches come convey for example the number of laws that are coming out around the world in the privacy and security space is one thing to talk about them but it's quite another to actually display them and say okay there are 12 states in the u.s that just came out with privacy laws right mm -hmm. um and there's x many states that are coming up with security laws ai laws there's a way this has to be a way that we can keep track of it in on one page as opposed to go through pages and pages and pages of trying to read up on them, right? And then do quick takeaways, including with the GDPR. It's such a thick piece of law if you were to print it out. How do you filter that and, and um, absorb it quickly? Well, you you draw images, right? You visualize yeah, yeah. it as such. Yeah, great point. Um, okay, so let's get into, you mentioned it already a little bit, starting your own uh, your own advising firm. So get into that as far as the, the motivation to go out on your own and then uh, what you were able to do there. Yeah, so that was during my litigation, my law days. I had my own startup called Graphicus Persona where it was a few illustrators and myself. We would work with different boutique uh, plaintiff civil litigation firms and work with them on their personal injury and medical malpractice cases, doing exactly what I just told you, taking those diagnostics and drawing on top of them 
uh, via our tools and having orthopedic surgeons, neurosurgeons, different surgeons who are at, um, who are at play there to validify the accuracy of our diagnostics and then have them enter into court as real evidence. And, and that worked really well. I learned that technique in, with, from the New Jersey um, Bar Association, actually. So came to New Jersey a few times to learn those techniques and learn from different medical illustrators in the U.S. space. And then I brought that back into Canada. And those were early days when medical illustrations weren't such a big thing. Now, a lot of lawyers are doing it. And then since that, since then, I left that space because my interest went back into engineering. I went back into a manufacturing uh, facility and ran a pressure sensitive manufacturing uh, factory uh, before I entered privacy. One thing about us engineers, we like to try and invent a lot of new things and we get bored really quickly. So <laughs> I enjoyed life sciences, loved engineering, loved law, but was looking for that perfect blend, that melting pot of where I could put all those disciplines together and have the aha moment. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Now, so as far as the switch from, you know, the medical malpractice work and illustration to being a manufacturing engineer, how did that uh, happen? Um, so, you know, litigation is a very tough field. I did it for a number of years with my startup and eventually I had to close my startup because as startups go, accounts receivables become quite a challenge and, um, you know, the lawyers weren't able to keep up with payment at a, a good pace. So I, I, it wasn't viable financially for me to keep doing what I was doing as much as I loved doing it. So I decided, let me go back to my engineering roots. And um, again, in the healthcare space, I ran a pressure sensitive label manufacturing facility up here in Northern Ontario, just north of Toronto. It was producing labels for hospitals and labs all across the province of Ontario um, and had at times uh, 24 seven shifts. And so, you know, there'd be days where I'd be working on the floor with the guys, fixing the machines, have my arms up in Greece, next day be in the boardroom, working with the bankers and, and you know, uh, bringing in, um, uh, sales and doing a lot of marketing. Um, so learned a lot about running business that way and also keeping in touch with my, my engineering side of things. Again, did that and I still wasn't satisfied. I still was missing pieces of what I love to do, essentially putting it all together until I discovered data privacy. And it started, I remember with the solar wind breach and then Cambridge Analytica. And I thought, oh my goodness, what is going on over here? And just started looking at all those breaches. And I thought, okay, this is it. This is where I need to be. Interesting. So talk a little about as far as, you know, you you spoke about it as a manufacturing engineer and at the beginning of your career, working as a chemical engineer, you know, you had this sort of, uh, you weren't afraid to, to get your hands dirty, to, to work in the field. Um, I guess, talk about sort of some of that work and I mean, I'd imagine in, in privacy engineering, that's a little bit less so, but uh, yeah. I just talk about that interest to, to really get there and on, on the ground floor. Yeah. So, um, you know, throughout the, the, the themes of life sciences, engineering and law, I kept alive, right? Because I don't think I, I consciously realized what I was doing, but I was interested in all three. And I was constantly trying to find different avenues of how I could enjoy all three, but I was doing them separately. I had to find a way to bring them all together. Um, and that's where data privacy and cybersecurity came in, specifically within the health space, right? 
So uh, un unconsciously, subconsciously, however you want to say it, I was looking for that outlet. And that's how privacy came to be a space for me and eventually privacy engineering. And, you know, we'll, we'll get into how that came about. Okay. Yeah. So let's jump into it. So you, uh, you know, you talked about after hearing about the solar winds breach Cambridge Analytica, uh, you became interested in it. So I guess talk about, you know, I don't think this was some, a field that you were even really thinking about prior to that. Um, so correct me if I'm wrong, and then go into as far as how do you ended up, you know, coming interested and then uh, that transition uh, to, to start working in privacy. Privacy, as you and I understand it, data privacy, data protection is a new field, right? Not terribly new. When you are practicing law, privacy is always there. So, for example, in the health law space that I was working in with litigation firms, there was constantly that care being taken of, of being careful in collecting that information, using it for the right purposes, getting consent from the clients. So for example, if I wanted to draw illustrations of their fractures, uh, their pleural effusions of their in, in their chest and whatnot, whatever the injury was, we needed consent constantly, right? We needed to ensure that we maintain the privacy of their medical information, which is the most sensitive of all information. So that layer, that nuance was always there. That understanding was always there for me. Um, I just needed to take that to the next level. So when I discovered data privacy in the form that we know it today, that just made so much sense to me. And hence, after getting certified, getting into the Ministry of Health here in Ontario was logical, right? Because as you know, in Canada, we are we have free health care. So the ministries handle a lot of health information. Um, the law allows them to uh, process that information, store it. And so privacy professionals like myself are hired by the ministry to help protect that data uh, under the law. So that that was just a perfect segue for me to get into this area. Fascinating. And, and so get into a little bit as far as uh, you educated yourself in, you know, privacy, for example, you went to uh, Carnegie Mellon, Northeastern Michigan, uh, talk about you know, the, those experiences and kind of you're already working for a while and, and you decided to go back to school to make it happen. So uh, get into that, uh, th that education piece. Exactly. So up to the point where I was discovering privacy, um, privacy as formal education is not offered, it was not offered in universities. And even to this day in the Canadian space, I think it's slowly coming to, you can't exactly get an undergraduate degree in it, right? So so I think you'll, you'll probably, you've seen with a lot of people you interview, you kind of piecemeal it together for yourself. You go to the IPP, you get a certification, you go to some private vendors. I chose to go to different universities, specifically in the U.S. Uh, why? Because I found find that the U.S. is way ahead of Canada in terms of uh, studying in privacy, in terms of the offerings that are in uh, the academic world. Hence, I chose Michigan State University, Northeastern University, and then Carnegie Mellon. Um, why Carnegie Mellon? Because I still am in love with engineering and I wanted to see how I can incorporate that into all the privacy courses that I took and the certifications that I did. And Carnegie Mellon was one of the first universities to offer that program. And in fact, they have a bachelor's and master's and now a PhD in it, which is fascinating. Wow. And so if I had to do it all over again, that's where I would go. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And, and, and we talked about, you know, pri privacy engineering is only really a handful of years old. Um, 
So I guess talk about that. Really, you've only been in it for a few years, but that's just about as long as you could possibly be in privacy engineering. So I guess talk about that as far as everybody's sort of a, a new kid on the block. Exactly. And it's it's really interesting. This this area is garnering a lot of attention by the IAPP and a lot of privacy professionals in the field. I've moderated a couple of um, discussions, panel discussions for the IAPP in this area, trying to define what is a privacy engineer. Are they lawyers? Are they engineers? Are they technologists? Are they computer scientists? And really, the answer is they're all of the above. They must have technical know-how. They must understand how to interpret the law, apply the law. They must be amazing conversationalist communicators across uh, cross-sectionally across different parts of the organization, both with internal stakeholders and external stakeholders. So for example, a privacy engineer should be able to take a software engineering concept and be able to disseminate it such that they can speak to legal. They can speak to the marketing department within the organization and then vice versa. If legal has compliance concern, privacy engineers should be able to take that concern and go to the software engineers and explain to them as to why they have to be implementing privacy by design principles when they are developing the software, when they are bringing in data through the data pipelines, how they have to deal with structured data, unstructured data, while being uh, uh, privacy by design minded, meaning knowing that they have to comply with the law. So that's what a privacy engineer, to me, does. They're able to communicate cross-sectionally all across the board. Wow, that's great. And, and you know, this wasn't your first time working with lawyers that in your previous career, you, you know, you worked uh, with the, with the, 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 the plaintiff side and the medical illustration. So I guess, was that just kind of a logical jump to work uh, with lawyers on the privacy side? Absolutely. And I also worked on the policy side for the Ministry of Health, where we had to make clause changes to the health law in Ontario. So I, I, I understood how you do that, how you go into Parliament, sorry, into the Cabinet to exact that change. So policy making is a huge piece of that. So I've had that exposure, I've had exposure for marketing. As an entrepreneur, I've had ex a lot of exposure, right? So I've been able to through my work experiences, learn how to talk to people from different vantage points. And that's what's helped me segue into privacy engineering so seamlessly um, and be able to talk to people like software engineers, like front-end, back-end developers because of my background in a variety of spaces that I've been. Um, to this day, I think um, that space is being still being carved out, but IAPP came out with a really good visual again, going back to visuals, as to some of the, they came out with eight points actually as to what a privacy engineer could possibly be. And being a technologist, being a somebody who's moral, being somebody who is uh, who understands legal uh, compliance side of things are pieces that they're looking at. Um, and Carnegie Mellon is also creating that space quite nicely working. And it's interesting, their program brings in faculty of computer science, faculty of law, philosophy, um, and, and that's how they brought this program together. Makes well, sense, right? That it brings so many disciplines together. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as far as, uh, getting into sort of your first work, actually, as a privacy engineer, you spoke about you worked at the Ontario Ministry of Health. Uh, so get into, get into that job. So at the Ontario Ministry of Health, you know, I was working in managing the massive troves of data that was coming onto their platform, working with cybersecurity specialists to manage that data. Um, I think my privacy engineering career began then without the title privacy engineering, um, because I was working with uh, software developers, policymakers, 
lawyers, um, cybersecurity specialists, all with one point in mind to manage and secure this very uh, sensitive data. Um, after I finished my stint there, I went to Telus Health um, and helped them manage uh, their electronic medical records software. Same sort of idea, managing all the health data that was coming on there. And uh, at the same time, I was getting certified at Carnegie Mellon University and I was approached by Twitter and um, decided to apply for a position there that someone had approached me with. And that led me into the career itself. Interesting. And, and you know, for us, a lot of uh, listeners and guests have been really more on the on the legal side. So from the engineering side, what, do, what does it mean to manage health data uh, at, as a privacy engineer? Knowing your law, number one, knowing that you need to maintain the trust of the customer of that particular business is, is very critical. Um, educating everyone within the corporation laterally, vertically, being you know privacy-centric minded is very important. Educa I find education is the, the main piece here from the front end to the back end folks, from executive down below, everyone needs to be driven by the same principle. And that is we must protect this data because the minute that protection is gone, what's the point of being in business anymore, right? Because that trust will will be gone. Uh, right now, the way society is running, what is our most precious asset? It's our data. Whether it's our biometric data, our banking data, it's, it's our data. And biometric health data is the most sensitive of its kind, which requires the most amount of protection. And with artificial intelligence taking the speed, that, warp speed that it is in our lives, before you know it, our DNA will be mapped out and will be available on some, some database, right? Uh, because of the number of samples people are giving out willingly to, to different genetic uh, testing companies. I, I won't name some of them at all because we know about all the data breaches that are happening out there. It, it's kind of too late in some ways. That data is out there and it needs to be protected ASAP. Yeah, great perspective. And so getting into your uh, stint at, at Twitter, so a couple different questions about that. One is, you know, you worked pretty much your whole career uh, either directly with the medical field, adjacent to the medical field. So talk about sort of Twitter. You don't really think of medical uh, medical work <laughs> with, with Twitter. So I guess, how did that come to be? And then also, um, right when you joined Twitter was right around the time that Elon Musk, uh, you know, bought it. So get into uh, that kind of fascinating time. Right. So I had told you earlier, um, at least for myself as an engineer, and, I, and there are a few of my engineering friends who are like myself, we are very curious. We we like to learn about all different disciplines out there. So at this point, I, I knew a lot about the healthcare space. I wanted to know how privacy is practiced in other spaces. So social engineering is one that really excited me with using Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatnot, you know, um, I just wanted to know how, how does privacy work there and specifically privacy engineering. <clears throat> and when I was approached by some folks at Twitter, uh, I, I decided, okay, let me apply. And after two and a half months of applying rigorous apl application process, I got the job and, and I was over the moon. And yeah, there we were working with social uh, engineering data. So for example, looking at tweets, 
of all kinds um, laden with personal information. How do you deal with that? You look at which part of the world it's coming from, which laws apply. Um, you know, what are the retention policies within the corp? What are the deletion policies? And uh, so, you know, without getting into details, there was all that mix that was so exciting to look at because it was a global platform, right? Um, and then, yes, Elon Musk was hovering in the in the background. He had just made the purchase and none of us knew what that would pan out like, but, but uh, we do now know. And eventually, uh, we engineers were the first to be laid off, one of the first and second tier layoffs to occur. Interesting. All, and, uh, all, engineers, all engineers generally, or was it uh, specifically the, the privacy department? Majority of engineers, yeah. Wow, interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. So, and then currently you are back working uh, with with health. Uh, so, so talk about uh, your current role working uh, with Ontario Health uh, in the, with the government. Yeah, so I am a senior privacy specialist at Ontario Health, which is an agency to the Ministry of Health. So kind of close to where I was before, back in the healthcare space, which I know well. Um, also really exciting, um, also managing the health data of Ontarians from all across the board, whether it's lab-related data, cancer care data, all kinds of data that we're managing that's mandated under the law for clinicians to provide to the ministry. So that's from a cybersecurity perspective, compliance perspective, privacy perspective, um, doing a different, uh, working with different tools like PIAs, DPIAs, uh, threat risk assessments, um, security risk assessments. So yeah, yeah, we're looking at all of that just with one goal in mind to protect this data, which is extremely, extremely sensitive. Interesting. And and get into that as far as, um, you know, working with, with PIAs and, and risk assessments as a privacy engineer, are you building those? What's your, how, how do you, uh, what does a privacy engineer do in relation to kind of those risk assessments, PIAs? Yeah. So to, to do PIAs and risk assessments and technical privacy reviews, these are different tools that are at our disposable at our disposal to facilitate onboarding of, for example, new products, new SaaS based products, um, tweaking existing platforms, um, develop building up new APIs and whatnot. So every time a new enhancement is done or a new product is launched, <clears throat> these tools have to be implemented. And when you work on them, you need to work with different stakeholders, both externally and internally. And again, that's where privacy engineering comes in, right? So you're working with the lawyers within, within the corp. You're working with the marketers, the project managers, um, your developers. And after you gather and garner all that information, you complete your PIA, for example, and then assess what the risk is of deploying that particular enhancement, for example, in this case, in one particular case would be. If that's not so risky, it's a go ahead, easy to deploy. If not, if it has a number of risks, then you go to the chief privacy officer to get their sign off on, right? And to see who's going to absorb that risk if that tool is deployed at all. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. And, and there's a few of these these were these pieces that we work on. PIAs being a more legal piece, threat risk assessments being a more cybersecurity piece, and technical privacy reviews being a more software uh, SaaS based review. Right. So you can bring all three together to to do a good 
solid risk and privacy assessment of whether that enhancement should go ahead or not, should it go live, should it be deployed or not? Is it in the best interest of uh, the, the, the population at large for it to be deployed? Fascinating. And and the engineer is mostly working on a software piece or, or really with all three of those, uh, you know, compliance and legal. Yeah, in my particular role, all three, all three vantage points, all three avenues, which is what I really enjoy. So I'm not just siloed into one different one, one, one location. We're working with all of those pieces together to see if that particular solution is viable or not and is privacy centric in mind or not. Interesting. And and as far as just walk us through a little bit of that process, when you think, you know, if something is maybe somewhat risky, do you recommend alternatives? Do you, uh, what, what do you do on that front? Yeah, you recommend alternatives, you, you go to, and this is true of all the companies that I've worked for. So you could go to the architectural department and say, hey, could we tweak this process a little bit? Is there another way that we could bring this in? Could we introduce some privacy enhancing technologies um, in on the onset? set of, of, of deploying this, this product. There's a lot you could do. Then you look at, for example, who are the third-party vendors that we have? Do we have agreements with them? So that's where you work with lawyers. So you see how many different pieces come into play in getting one aspect of a tool launched even. It, a lot goes into it and it takes time. Um, and to me, this is what's so exciting about privacy engineering, that because you need to wear so many hats to do it. So this way I'm not siloed in one location, right? So I'm not just doing software uh, development. I'm not just doing legal compliance work. I'm not just working with uh, in project management. I'm actually working with all of these people, which which is really exciting. Yeah, that's, that's excellent. And and get into a little bit of, uh, you're looking to um, teach a little bit. You're going to uh, be teach at, at certain universities yeah. and uh, get into that get into that uh, experience or I love teaching I love paying forward I should tell you along my journey of pivoting into this career I met some really really kind people there were people who helped me a lot to get into this space because like you had said earlier it's a new space right um, it's not that old so you constantly need to do chats and network with people to ask them how do, how do I carve my path here and as a result um I want to pay that forward. I have seven mentees right now who I'm guiding and teaching. Uh, alongside that, I am a volunteer at the IPP. I moderated a few chats there. I'm constantly teaching there. I'm going to be teaching in different universities in the US and here in Canada as well. I've taught data privacy classes at University of Toronto. And I'm I'm going to constantly make sure that I do that and hopefully one day, you know, becoming um, an adjunct professor, perhaps in this space, I would love that. But, you know, just still making my pathway towards that. Teaching is, is so important because when you teach, you learn, right? It's not a one-way street. It's, it's, it's a, a double-sided uh, arrow, right? Um, and that's something that I'm really passionate about, too. Yeah, very true. And as far as your uh, engineering career, talk about that what you see uh, in the future with your with your uh, privacy engineering path yeah i'm i'm hoping that i will be able to teach privacy engineering one day um within uh, a university or a college specifically in academic space i would love that um trying to carve my way into that trajectory i'm hoping to get there one day 
constantly learning myself, taking more courses. Um, artificial intelligence is another space that I'm extremely passionate about. The whole equation of privacy and security has changed with the onset of Gen AI tools like ChatGPT and Bard and Dolly and Midjourney and whatnot. That's really important. Um, I'd love to be able to teach in that space as well. So there's lots to accomplish. And get into that exactly, you know, how has it changed? Because I've heard some perspectives that say really privacy and, you know, there, there's already those frameworks already exist for AI. Uh, get into from your perspective, you feel like it's fundamentally changed how, you know, talk about yeah. that. Well, you know, with ChatGPT, when it, when it was launched last year, right, it was just it was just the next rage. It just people just went nuts over it. In corporations incorporated within their work pipelines without actually doing much due diligence in it. So mm -hmm. it got introduced everywhere. And all of a sudden, what did you see, for example, in the healthcare space? People, uh, employees uploading um, clinical notes and records into ChatGPT. So right. they were injecting all this personal information without realizing that that information is going to be stored, processed, and perhaps be accessible to others out there, um, that the internet could be scraped for that kind of data, right? It's terribly dangerous, but it's been done and it's being done right now. We need to slow that down a little bit so that we can train employees on how to work on these tools any of them, whether it's co-pilot, whether it's mid-journey, for whatever you're using it for, we one has to be very, very mindful of what information one is putting in for these LLMs to process. So that has changed privacy and cybersecurity immensely. For cybersecurity perspective, these LLMs can now be used and are being used to exact massive attacks on existing data pipelines. That's why you're seeing so many hospitals being, uh, their, their uh, platforms being breached. Um, the other problem is a lot of, for example, hospitals are sitting on a lot of legacy uh, structures, infrastructures. So we've, we've got a dichotomy here. We've got AI that's taking the industry by a storm and we've got infrastructure that's still about 10, 20 years old that can't handle this new tech, right? So, Something needs to be done there ASAP. You need professionals to come in and be able to educate executives and say, whoa, let's just slow down here for a bit. We need some massive training done. We need some communications on these issues. Right. So there's definitely an intersection of cybersecurity, privacy, and AI. And that's a space that I, I really want to be in. Yeah, that's great. And as far as how do you see AI, is it just a risk or are there some ways to incorporate AI into you know, your privacy engineering work? Oh, yeah, of course, it's a risk, but it's an exciting risk, right? There's a way to incorporate it mindfully and meaningfully and definitely should be incorporated into privacy engineering and in privacy space and in cybersecurity space to say, let's do away with AI is like saying, uh, I don't want you to have a cell phone anymore. Well, that's ridiculous, isn't it? Because your cell phone is, is, is essentially an AI tool. Rather than speaking in that way, let's quickly educate everybody. Let's quickly understand what we're dealing with. What is this tech all about? And uh, we're already losing time. We need right, privacy right. engineers and all corporations to, to teach employees and their customers about these things. Yeah, great perspective. And and as far as uh, my last question for you is just looking back, you know, at uh, your whole career, what are some of the steps that you've taken, uh, maybe the connections you've made, the things that you've done that uh, have really gotten you to where you are today? I like the trajectory I took. I, you know, at the time I didn't know that I was going to end up where I am today. Um, 
I won't say it was by accident. I think subconsciously I knew what I enjoyed and I made sure I got work experience in those um, in those spaces. So one thing I'll, uh, one takeaway I will share with you is that you don't always need a university and college education to learn about these things. I think work experience is incredibly important. I didn't go to law school, but I, what I learned about going into court the number of times I did, it was priceless, right? Really helped me understand and shape my legal understanding and allowed me to be where I am today. So yeah. very, very grateful for my work experiences. Excellent perspective. And uh, with that, I will read the rhyme and then uh, we'll sign off. So Saima Fancy used to prepare medical illustrations. Now she considers privacy implications. In school, Saima studied applied science, learned how she combines, or we learned how she combined engineering with uh, privacy compliance. And uh, thank you so much for spending the time to chat with me today. Oh, thank you so much, Noah. This was a lot of fun. Excellent. Okay.